0: One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. Welcome to season five, episode nine of the business of aquaculture podcast. This episode, we have Claire Privula and Heather Courtney. They are experts in the industry who I have very high regard as masters in their industry. This episode is for you if you want to gain insights on the topic of investments. So if you're on the brink of having to make investment decisions you're experiencing in your business or existing projects at the moment, you will learn a lot from this panel interview. Welcome to the show, Heather. Welcome to the show, Claire.
1: Thank, Thank you. you so much. Oh, it's nice to see you again. <laughs> yes. see you again. <laughs> <laughs> so listen
0: in and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Last week, we had Sir Couturier and Tim Kennedy talk to us about the collaboration between education sector and an aquaculture alliance. For a one-on-one interview of our panelists today, please refer to Season 2, Episode 4 for Claire Quivilla and Season 4, Episode 9 for Heather Courtney. Welcome again to the show, ladies. I'm so happy
1: you're back. <laughs> yeah. Glad Welcome to be here. Nice four. to meet you. nice to meet you Claire nice to meet you Heather I mean it's great to make a new connection and also more women in the space it's great yes
0: exactly so well let me get the show started by asking both of you and anybody can start what's one portfolio you could recommend for those interested to support the oceans ecology via aquaculture while also getting a nice return on investment
2: I will answer that because we just had our portfolio company, Blue Nalu, make a really exciting announcement actually yesterday. So Blue Nalu is working on creating cell cultivated seafood products in their lab. And their first go-to-market product is a bluefin tuna. And they figured out a way to create that meat in suspension instead of using adherent techniques, which the majority of the cultivated meat industry is focusing on. So they have been able to create a single cell suspension and they've also created a lipid loading technology that allows the muscle fiber to actually maintain fat. So they are projecting that they'll be able to achieve 75% gross margin in their first year of production and cultivate up to 6 million pounds of premium seafood annually. And they're starting with the Bluefin Tuna Toro. So that's a super exciting announcement. We invested very early in their first round and we've watched them grow since then. And we're really excited about that company.
1: Well, that sounds really great. And I, I've met them. That's fantastic. I'm really excited for you. Would you like me to take a crack on that same question, Lords? Yes, please.
0: And before you move on to Claire, I was just going to say, Luke Cooper is actually one of our guests for this season as well. I think he's going to be episode four for this season, but go ahead, Claire.
1: Oh, excellent. Well, I look forward to listening to that. In regards to supporting aquaculture, I would say it comes to the top of mind is a round that we're leading right now, or Series A round with Wataya Aqua. It looks like it's going to be oversubscribed, we hope. And I don't know if you know them, but they're focused squarely on the animal health aspect and animal nutrition aspect of aquaculture. The two co-founders, Evan Hall, his background in fish biology, and Dominic Bureau is quite well known as a professor of animal nutrition and, and ag at the University of Gulf. But they've built... A platform based on 25 years of modeling around fish by fish, species by species, on what the optimal fish health is and nutrition requirements are by each species by stage of growth. So using it, uh, they've built a mass science with nutritional models, and they're considering all the multiple interdependencies, such as environment and helping all those constituents along the value chain of uh, aqua feed, be able to optimize their decision-making. So for the large strategics, it means the entire world becomes an R&D facility where they're able to see how their feed performs in different scenarios across the globe. For the farmers, it's providing predictive, prescriptive analytics. So taking into consideration all the variables where they exist, the weather, the pond quality line, line, the species, the stage of the growth of the species, and then being able to make sure that they're providing the optimal feed ingredients to get them to the highest FCR as fast as possible. At the same time, diminishing the farmer's exposure on their feed. That makes up 60% of a farmer's cost. So if you can impact that cost, improve the fish health and the water quality, diminish food waste up and downstream, you know, commodities that go into feed are not wasted, the fish are healthier, less disease prone, and then you're ensuring they get to their optimal FCR that is just gold. And they're adding to this AI and ML. So they're able to do thousands of calculations a second. It's, it's really good. And if you're a farmer, you can back into, you can say, I've only got this amount of budget. You know, I would love to have the Cadillac of feed, but I can't. Here's my budget. How can I optimize based on what I have to work with? So it's something for everybody along the value chain. We love them. Sounds great. And
0: actually... Stephen Gunther of Wataya was also a guest in the podcast last January.
1: Oh, great. So <laughs> okay, you know him well then. <laughs> it's,
0: great. it's great. It's great to hear all this portfolio that you both recommended. So if there's, I guess, one criteria why you chose this specific one, what would that be? What was this main that stood out for Blue Nalu and for Wittaya?
2: So for Blue Nalu, I think the impact on our oceans and fish populations was huge for us from a mission perspective. But we have to say, like when we met Lou Cooperhouse for the first time, we were super impressed with his track record and his experience in the industry. So really, it came down to him helming that company. And so far, I mean, we don't talk to Lou every week. But when we do check in with him, we're always super excited about the progress that he's made. Lunalu has developed the most innovative technology in the industry. And so I think that that, for us, has been, you know, the driving factor behind feeling like our investment was a good one.
1: What about for tie, Claire? Well, initially, I think it's because, you know, the demand that we all have or are having on traceability. You know, we want to know how the fish are being raised, what they're being fed, You know, in twenty to twenty-five years, nutritional health is going to be just a given. You know, you're you're going to know what actually the fish or seafood has eaten, and if they've how they've been raised, and whether they've had antibiotics, and and that kind of transparency is what this platform is allowing. And then on top of it, the whole carbon footprint. I mean now. Wataya has just announced their platform to track the carbon footprint of fish all the way back to the commodity and feed. So that kind of impact that can be captured is gold as well. So it's all those things combined. And, you know, from a commercial perspective, we had very little institutional investment and yet are driving a million in revenue. So rather impressive results with it's been a majority word of mouth acceptance and commercialization of their platform.
0: Well, thank you both for that very good insight. So my next question then becomes for, I guess, I was going to say aquaculture businesses, but I guess just business in general, looking for investors. What is your kind of magic pill, I call it, step-by-step, maybe top three action plan so that they can go to the next level?
2: So I think I need a little bit more to answer that question. What do you mean for an so action plan?
0: So like, for example, somebody's pitching with you, what would gain your interest that it will be like, oh, this business is ready to be supported by investors? Gotcha. Okay, so
2: I think, Clara, I'm not exactly sure what stage you invest in, but we are typically pre-seed to seed stage. So it's very early. Generally, companies don't have a lot of revenue or if they do have revenue, it's not very robust. So I would say it comes down to them thinking about product market fit you know, the faith that we have in the founding team and our confidence in them to be able to execute. And then, you know, just kind of like a thoughtful business plan going forward, like how they're going to leverage their network, their communities, advisors, are they coachable? So a lot of it comes down to the founding team and then, you know, our faith in them to really carry that business forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's somewhat similar, Heather, you know, and I should have maybe placed the lab Asia-Pacific and what we do a little bit in this conversation. So we're also early stage. We call ourselves late early stage, which is really bad English. So it's seed and series A, but we're looking for innovation that's patentable. So it's been the proof of concept has been established. And of course, if it's series A, they're already they're already commercializing they're already generating revenue so we can come in either we don't have to start at seed and then progress we can come like we did with wataya at the series a round and lead so we're looking for that we're looking also at the founders we're looking at you know where they're going to be in 2025 20, years and we're looking at you know how is what this company doing driving inefficiencies out of or efficiencies into or transforming an industry so we're all out of the industry for you know 30 years in our careers, and we've got a really vast, relevant subject matter expert advisory network that we can pull in, and and can we help? It's not it, not just about the capital; that's great, but can, how can we add value to this innovation? So those are the sorts of things that we assess.
0: Well, those are really great insights as well, because I believe, especially with smaller farmers, we're in most of the founding owners are mostly technicians that sometimes don't have the business acumen or the network for that matter to be able to help them. So those are really good recommendations for them to start thinking about that when they start to pitch with investors, these are the things that you guys are looking for. So my last question to both of you is what's one thing that you learned in the past decade in the industry that you're on?
2: Specifically for cellular aquaculture, the importance of thinking about raw ingredients going in. So Claire, you kind of talked about is it FCR ratio am I getting that right? Feed conversion ratio, um, yes. Yeah, so whether or not you're using a bioreactor to create animal meat or you're using an animal to create animal meat, you have to think about what goes into the process, right? So in the same way that you think about what are you what are you feeding your animals high quality food to create high quality meat, the same kind of goes for aquaculture. So you put high quality ingredients into a bioreactor in order to maintain cell health and also thinking about how many things out of that equation can you remove animals from, right? So there's a lot of companies out there that started out trying to figure out how to use a media that does not use FBS or fetal bovine serum in order to grow cells. And we've, as an industry, we've kind of cracked that code, but now we're working on more granular details of the process, like removing growth factors or changing those growth factors from animal-derived to plant-derived or fermentation-derived growth factors, and then also thinking about moving away from what has traditionally been used in the industry, pharmaceutical-grade raw media components to food-grade raw media components in order to bring those prices down. So I think that understanding raw ingredient inputs in cell culture and trying to think about that from like a food science perspective has been one of the biggest things that we've learned.
1: Go ahead, Claire. From my past, because you know what, when we kind of talked before this podcast, I was thinking, gosh, over the last 10 years in regards to aquaculture, I can't say that I've been in aquaculture for 10 years. But as far as ag tech and definitely technology, my career has been across technology for the majority of my career. And so what I took away as an answer to this question was really you know, the importance of data and analytics and just about everything that we're looking to transform to improve efficiencies. And that includes across agriculture, within animal health, in alternative proteins. It's It's so ironic that nutrition, which is core to our survival, is this last trillion-dollar industry from a technology perspective to be transformed. And and aquaculture, I've come to learn is, you know, a lot of the barriers have been, it's just difficult. It's been terrestrial. You know, you're not able to see what's going on under the water in the ocean. So, you're having to understand variables that aren't understood and having to make prescriptive components that need to be hypothesized. So, having just done an aquaculture challenge, the good news is is what I've learned is that despite what industry is saying, you know, where's the aquaculture innovation? It's there. We were able to see in our challenge a lot of respondents come out, 150 applications. We selected 8. So that's the good news. So, whether it's the use of technology on land RAS solutions or self-contained vertical shrimp farms that can provide high quality shrimp in a desert or eliminating the many disease that plague the different species. And especially in an intense production environment, there is innovation that's being created that's helping this, which is going to be important for us to protect the ocean and stay ahead of, of global demand. And traceability is no longer a dream or just a way to differentiate ourselves, it's now demanded by this generation of consumers. And and I think that that's been what's been a big awakening to me.
0: Well, I lied. I thought that was my last question, but that sparked one last question that I was going to ask was, what do you think is something that will not change? I know everybody is going to be talking about future trend or what we'll learn from the past, but something that will be constant. Because I always say that you know in business, there's these new things, but there's just some things that are constant. What would that be for both of you?
2: I think probably for me, and this is something that I've grappled with. I mean, I'm a 25-year vegan, so this is hard for me to say, but I think that the demand for meat and that's fish included is not going anywhere, right? We've got a rising number of middle-class, especially in Asia. And with increasing middle-class, that allows people to eat more meat. And that's a trajectory that we've seen increasing. So By 2050, we're going to have 10 billion people on the face of this planet, and we're going to have to figure out how to feed them sustainably while maintaining planet health. And I think that understanding that the demand for meat isn't going anywhere and embracing that as part of our investment thesis into companies like Blue Nalu, Avant Foods, and focusing on the health benefits of fish and how we can feed people both sustainably and healthfully... That's been a challenge for me to digest, I guess, but I've gotten there.
1: That's a good answer. Like I said before, there's no one hammer, one nail. that's just going to get us there and solve every single thing we need to do to make sure there's enough calories on this planet. I think one thing that cannot be denied is that the majority of our food is coming from smallholder farmers. And it's something we don't, you know, we want them to succeed. No smallholder wants to be a smallholder. We want them to more productive. It's a whole different way to to monetize and innovation because it's not going to be the smallholder that's going to pay for it. So that's something that is not going to change and we should want to embrace it and help them. 80% of our food is coming from them. That's one constant. And also, you know, supply chain, it's still a challenge. There's enough food grown on this planet so that everybody should be food secure. It's just not making it to its final destination. And the more efficiencies that we can drive in supply chain with. We've got one company, Demuto, that's focused squarely on that and making it much more easy for lower cost for constituents to get into a supply chain with full traceability and be accountable on where there's a problem in it, the better we'll be. So enough food is being grown. We're just not getting it to its final destination. The food waste needs to be eliminated.
0: Well, thank you both. My biggest takeaway from our conversation today is when we were talking about impact. I think that's also one thing that's not going to go away, that's going to stay because in any organization or business, the vision is still the main driving force of why the business exists. And so thank you again. How can our audience get in touch with you?
2: For me, they can send me an email, heather at Alwyn Capital, Alwyn is spelled A-L-W-Y-N heather at allwyncapital.com, Find me on LinkedIn. I'll answer emails or drops in my uh, LinkedIn inbox.
1: And for me, it's Claire Pribula is my name. My email is real simple. Unlike my last name, it's claire at the yield lab.com. And I'd love to hear from you or connect with me on LinkedIn. And Heather, it was really good to get to know you and yes you will be
2: my next linkedin ad
0: (laughs) (laughs) perfect thank you thank you again ladies please remember you help build a home in the philippines via b1g1.com when you listen to the podcast thank you again to both of you and thank you to all our listeners and we'll see you next week bye now thank you both thank you bye-bye thank you for listening and i hope you are inspired from this episode do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.